Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Ready or Not on the Barker Media Network. I'm your host, Chris Ferreira, and we have another reaction episode of The Last Dance, Part 7 and 8, the famous Michael Jordan documentary on ESPN that's airing over the last several weekends. I'm rejoined by another member of the Barker, Andrew Keogh, who has reacted with me on the first two episodes of this documentary. We're going to just talk about our initial reactions after watching uh, Part 4, Number 7 and 8 of this documentary. Uh, Andrew, how are you doing tonight? And uh, what are some of your initial reactions of this, uh, these last two episodes? Happy Mother's Day, everyone. That is true. I didn't say Happy yeah. Mother's Day to all my mothers out here. Um, I thought this episode was pretty emotional. We see, I think, the highs and lows of Michael Jordan dealing with, I think, the world coming down on him. Um, there were some moments that were pretty sad. I... I wrote that down too i said this is the two most emotional ones because we really get to dive into what forced him forced his hand to retire from basketball right. and most people just think you know oh like michael just retired because he wanted to play baseball but they don't know the tragedy that was him and his father yeah it was so much more than just taking a break from basketball i think he just needed to step away and play sports for fun mm -hmm. like with even though that's impossible as michael jordan because it was a media circus even when he decided to go play baseball but yeah he says in the documentary um you know after his third championship uh he wins it almost less than two months later in august his father is uh found murdered uh in a creek in north carolina and it has just it just shook shook him because this man was motivated so much by his father. His father had been to every one of his basketball games. He had seen him play, uh, just saw him win his third championship two months yeah. ago. And then to have, I mean... And then uh, the media circus. Even Michael Jordan says that he knows it wasn't the reporters who he knew personally or... It was the reporters that didn't know him that were spinning, saying, oh, it's a conspiracy, you know. Was it Michael's gambling debts that had his father father murdered and tying him into his dad's demise? And that is just awful to hear that about, you know, you're dealing, you're grieving, and now you have this media people just blaming you, saying, oh, you might be the cause of your father's death. I can't imagine what he was going through because, you know, especially in a city like Chicago where you are you are God, you have done everything for this city, and then your father dies and the media spins these stories, like you said, about his gambling debts and how they could be tied into why his father was murdered. Not for the simple fact that, oh, it was just, you know, in... It was North a chance encounter. Even mm -hmm. the detective said that. It could have been anybody. Yeah. And so, Michael, I do not blame him for just being fed up, not only emotionally spent playing basketball for as long as he did, winning three straight championships, but now needing to take a uh, mental hiatus to be with his family. Yeah, I don't think anyone has ever reached that level of stardom that Michael Jordan did. I don't think, maybe Michael Jackson, but mm -hmm. Jordan it, had to deal with it. It was insane seeing the press conference where he announces his retirement. Yeah. The, the amount, whole world came down. The amount of people that were in that gymnasium. The amount, I, I don't think I've ever seen that many reporters yeah. unless it was like the Super Bowl. Every famous reporter ever was there to cover Michael Jordan just retiring. Mm -hmm. And he definitely looks tired. 
He just didn't look like he was having any fun. He says in the thing, he says, I'm at peace knowing that my father saw me win my last game. And yeah. I know I don't have to play basketball anymore um, because of this. And then the, the conspiracy theories started flying around saying David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, was suspending him and they were playing it off as a you know, as a retirement because of his gambling stuff and off the court stuff. But then the documentary goes to say, like, why would Stern do that? Why would you get rid of your no, biggest yeah. meal ticket in the NBA? Yeah. I had always heard about that conspiracy and, you know, someone was like, hmm, you know, that kind of makes sense. But now after seeing this documentary, absolutely not. You know, why would David Stern, you know, that's like. That's just not a business decision you would want it, to make. Complete idiot, idiocy. Yeah. Um, I see how people do believe in that conspiracy because, I mean, it does make, you know, there are some, it makes sense, but. Well, some people see, just don't want to believe that Michael would just walk away from it all. Yeah. There had to have been something else yeah. that caused them to and do it. And even in today, if an athlete were to walk away from a sport in their mid-20s at the you know peak of their prime winning championships, I would be like, there's more to that story. Mm-hmm. And we finally have the answer for, for Michaels. And I think he wanted to play baseball because it was something him and his dad played together as kids. He played, his dad coached him in baseball. So when his dad died, I think baseball was the closest thing he can can do to be close to his father and mm-hmm. feel his father's presence. And that totally makes sense. He even had said uh, that even before the final championship in 93 he said him and his dad had been talking about going into baseball. going to play baseball yeah. but he said there were two things that he needed to do before he could go play baseball is he had to win three championships in a row because magic johnson and larry bird never did that and then he also had to uh play in the olympics and win a gold medal yeah. and that's kind of why he kept playing basketball otherwise he would have went and played mm-hmm. baseball earlier um so yeah in 1994 right after his famous retirement he joins the Chicago White Sox, which me and Andrew were we were talking. We're like, why the hell did he join the White Sox? Besides them being in Chicago, and then why do we we find out that Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls, also owns the White yeah, Sox? Yeah, so like <laughs> he didn't have to shift anything around. He mm-hmm. still owned the player rights, and it just went to a different team. And, Very simple. And they said normally when you know somebody who's even drafted out of college would go into rookie ball or single A to. Uh, get adapted because you know baseball is a completely different sport completely different muscles completely different hand-eye coordination um i feel like baseball is the hardest sport to just pick up and go play whereas like football and basketball kind of you can be athletic and still succeed baseball is a completely different skill set and they said that michael would have normally started in you know rookie ball but they said the rookie ball facilities couldn't handle the media circus so they had to put him in double a uh double a affiliate to have him play. And so then he's playing against really good competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, I mean, I was always raised to say, you know, Michael Jordan sucked at baseball. But they said he batted over over 200. He had over 50 RBIs. He started with a 13-game hit streak. And to have that media circus around you and to have not played a sport he for like a, 15, 16 years. He took a break from it, yeah. I always thought like, oh, yeah, Michael, the baseball player, was a bust. But after seeing those stats... He clearly would have made the MLB. Yeah. He would have hit the majors. They said if the if the following season in, in late 94-95, the MLB players sh- striked, yeah. and he didn't want to cross the picket line and be one of the scabs playing, so he stopped, and that's kind of when he gets back into basketball. But they said if, if that strike didn't happen and Michael kept playing he baseball, he would have been called up and played in the majors. Not yeah. just as a publicity stunt, but he was getting better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And his his manager was Terry Francona of the uh, Cleveland Indians, who won a World Series for the Boston Red Sox. It was really cool to hear the stories and stuff. Yeah. And I love them saying how baseball was kind of like you mentioned it, his escape, and it brought back the joy. Yeah, you you see the joy of him in the locker room with the, these other baseball guys, and you know they're pulling pranks on each other, and it's like a young club. But I think he needed that too. It's not you know championship 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 he was there to start a career in baseball and i think there's that joy in that yeah Um, there was no you know every year michael needed to win a championship or was bust yeah like i I don't want to say there was no pressure because he's michael jordan and obviously with all those cameras there's pressure but he was able to just go have fun yeah Mm -hmm. and uh and i liked how like the coaches were like they thought it was a complete publicity stunt until they saw him in the locker room and the effort he was giving day in and day out, and they were like, this guy's the real deal. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were like, oh, this is just a publicity stunt, but no, this guy can actually play. Yeah. And to hear Major League Baseball uh, coaches say, like, if he would have had, Terry Francona said, if you would have given him 1,500 at-bats, he would have been in the majors. Yeah. Because he hadn't played in forever. He only got to play, you know, for about one and a half seasons and stuff. Yeah, so, and he picked up a bat after, what, 13-year hiatus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's nuts. And, and he was hitting every fastball. It was just all the, yeah, they, the they said the, jobs. the breaking balls was what Michael struggled yeah. at. <laughs> and again, he wasn't the best athlete in the outfield. But again, his his trainer that they uh, have in the documentary talks about, it's a totally different training style going from basketball to baseball. Yeah, and he was playing well, meanwhile changing his whole body mm-hmm. to adapt to baseball. Yep. Meanwhile, while he's playing baseball, the Bulls in 94 uh, end up in a super controversial ending of their season where Pippen throws a little tantrum in the 94 playoffs against the Knicks. Everyone thinks, oh, the Bulls are going to prove that they don't need Michael. They won like 50 games that year. But then come crunch time when, you know, Michael would normally take over the game, Scott, uh, Phil drew up a play for Tony Kukoc, who's a rookie. Yeah. And what does Pippen do on the sideline? He's not having it. He throws a little tantrum with 1.8 seconds left and doesn't doesn't go back into the game. Yeah. And apparently the entire Bulls team just lost a bunch of respect for him that night. Kukoc ends up hitting the game winner, and he's not even, like, happy. And it takes, like, the team leader, Bill Cartwright, to, like, have an emotional, like, speech in the locker room talking to Scotty and the rest of the team saying how they're so, you know, embarrassed and ashamed at how he acted. Um because he didn't have their back. Yeah. And, yeah, as a teammate, I would be so pissed. You know, 1.8 seconds left, we're in the playoffs. Like, we need you now. Out of all the moments, we need you now. Especially when you are now the guy, when Michael yeah. has left. Mm-hmm. Their $2 million guy. Maybe yeah. maybe that was a stance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I understand. I heard them in the... Some people were saying, you know, well, how would have Michael reacted if... Phil would have drawn up a play for somebody else rather than Michael. And I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy, but he's Michael Jordan. He would have probably... Yeah, he would have played. Mm-hmm. He would have played. Yeah. And again, Kukoc hits the game winner. And, and we already seen in the previous series against the, the Pistons, uh, Michael had to pass to Paxson and all these mm-hmm. other players to make big shots, and he's okay with that if it's winning. So I don't know why Pippen threw that fit. It ruined Pippen's reputation for a minute. The Bulls end up losing that series in seven to the Knicks. Yeah. And... Uh, MJ even had to call Phil after that game of, like, what was Pippen doing? Yeah. You know? And Michael Jordan was shocked about it. And that's someone who knows Pippen super well. And 
for him to surprise, you know, Michael, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think them losing that series only helps Jordan's legacy because if the Bulls had won that championship yeah. without it, you know, it kind of takes away some of Michael's, but them losing, you know, adds to the lore. And then, you know, we get to the 95 season and Jordan, again, the lockout in baseball, and he tells his, uh, he's getting the itch, tells his uh, agent that, I'm thinking about making a return, and he sends back the famous uh, fax, just saying, yeah, "I'm back." I'm back, and the papers go insane. And uh, I yeah. think it's funny that he had his agent write like three or four possible letters to the the world, and he just goes with, "I'm back." I'm back. Simple as that. Um, and again, it was super emotional. He returns. What what was it like? Sixty five games. Yeah, they're like sixty five. Sixty five yeah. games into the ninety five season. Like four games over five hundred or something. And like that. yeah, and he's just trying to come back for that playoff push. Um, he has his first game back since his father's death. Super emotional. They lose, and he decides to wear number forty five because he says this is a, a new beginning for me. Yeah. Uh, because uh, twenty three was for my father. And this is uh, something new that I'm going to yeah. get. That I'm and you play. can even tell by that first game back how he had his pants on backwards. Yeah. Like, normally Michael Jordan's super clean-shaven, well-dressed, you know, on top of it every day. And he had been so nervous. And, you know, for him to put his basketball shorts on backwards and go out and play, you know, mm-hmm. you can tell a lot of things were going in his mind. And Oh, that was like the big takeaway from this entire two episodes is that even him dominating teams, putting up 55 against the Knicks like six games back from not playing basketball for two years and going through the Orlando series, there always seemed to be like something else on his mind. It was like yeah. you could tell that his father's death was still lingering, even while he's out there dominating people. Imagine if he was 100% focused. Yeah. You know, that's scary. And so then, you know, at the end of that is, is I think it's the biggest black mark you can say i guess the the people that are in the lebron camp as greatest ever will point out you know he comes back in 95 and they lose to that shaq penny and horace grant magic team uh four games to two michael actually switches back over to number 23 in that series after uh nick anderson i guess stole the ball from him and made a comment saying 45 isn't 23 so he had to try to prove it back but they lose that series and um but I think he left his mark on the league of like, oh, he he really is back. Yeah, because he he they said you know he didn't really even have a full season to get in conditioning strength. He'd been in baseball yeah. um, conditioning, which is way different than you know running up and down that court for the entire duration of a basketball game. And he was gassed. They said he was completely gassed yeah, out that in was that series. Gary Payton's whole you know I'm mm-hmm. gonna gas him, make him tired. Yeah. Oh, wait, what's that? After? No, that was the Sonics one. That's okay, the one yeah. coming up. But um, but then right after that series, they said his trainer had always said, you know, during the off season, Michael always, uh, I'll see you in a couple months. They take some time off. He goes golfing and does stuff, and they get back to work. But losing to Orlando, realizing he was out of shape, he said, I'll see you at work tomorrow. And yeah. Michael immediately started working out. And then that's when he gets the uh, the Space Jam job. Yeah. And I, I it's almost it was almost like a, a rocky type situation where you know he's back to the bottom. He has to prove everything mm-hmm. all over again because now he's not the champ anymore. Yeah. Everyone's going to think he's he's over the hill. Um and it was so cool to see that they built a dome at Warner Brothers yeah. so that he could shoot. I mean, I can't imagine how long his days were. They said he was shooting from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then he would work out and play pickup hoops. Yeah, with other basketball stars, which is 
wild. But he's doing like 15, 16 hour days. Yeah. All summer long. And I also think it's cool that, you know, we're in Burbank and they shot it here in Burbank, literally walking distance from where we are mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah. Oh my. And they show some of the footage on that of them playing against the Sonics and it's just, or not the Sonics, at a Warner Brothers playing those pickup games with all the, and it was basically like, you know, a lot of the, the NBA players that were in Space Jam. So it was like those, yeah. mo- those Monstar games but and stuff. Michael also invited like some of the younger players who were getting really good, like Reggie Miller. Jawan and, Howard. And he was basically learning how the, you know, Reggie Miller does this and does that. And, you know, he's picking their game apart off season. BJ Armstrong said it was like a rite of passage that summer. If you got invited to Warner Brothers, which yeah, is really that's cool awesome. mm-hmm, to play on that court. Um, and then, so yeah, that off season we go, jo- Jordan again has something to prove. And this is the part that I really wanted to touch on in the documentary. Michael's just relentless pursuit to be perfect of perfection and to win. And they have an amazing segment where they talk about, and they ask Michael, what do you feel uh, when people say you're not a nice guy? And he has some of the most amazing quotes I've ever heard. Where the end of episode seven, it's kind of just he puts everything into perspective and says, winning has a price. Leadership has a price. People who think I'm a tyrant have never won anything before. And I won't ask you to do anything that I couldn't or wouldn't do. And if I have to drag you on this journey, then maybe you shouldn't be on it with me. Yeah. Oh. I really resonated with the fact that he said, um, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that he wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And damn. And he even, he, he gets emotional. And yeah. that's the end of the episode. You can see he's almost starting to tear up because people just, I mean, it's got to get uh, so tiring to hear people just call you an asshole when all you are is wanting to motivate them to be better mm-hmm. players themselves. Mm-hmm. And that, and then all these players afterwards come out years later and they're like, we needed that. That's what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a center. Uh, what's his name? Bill uh, Cartwright. Not Cartwright. The other one in the '98 season. But he said, yeah, because it was like Steve Kerr, him, Kukoc. None of these guys had played with Michael, and Michael came in in '95, '96, and you know it was like going back to school. Like he had to oh, reteach because yeah. he said all these all these young younger Bulls players that are thinking they're the best because they were on the Bulls, but they weren't a part of the 91, 92, yeah, 93 champions. There was like an entitlement to the, their championships when they didn't win any of it. They didn't win any of them, and he had to kind of, you know, bring them back down to reality. And then they, they tell the famous story of him getting pissed off in practice and punching Steve Kerr in the face, Yeah, which is amazing. And I love, I actually, I like Steve Kerr in that moment too because he talks about, you know, I'm obviously not as good as Michael Jordan, yeah. but I'm a competitive dude, and I'm not going to back down. And he mm-hmm. said he earned Jordan's respect. And Jordan said he earned or uh, he respected Kerr after that. Yeah. He's like, I have punched the tiniest dude on the team. I feel this big right now. I'm just sock Steve Kerr. Poor Steve Kerr. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so good. He And, again, that builds that team to uh, bond during that offseason. And uh, then we get arguably the greater – well, you can basically say it was the greatest yeah. team because the Warriors didn't win. It was the greatest basketball team no, ever, yeah. that 95-96 And if you're taking the playoffs into account, the Bulls are still number one. Yeah, they they get Dennis Rodman. They get all these other crew. They go 72-10 and 10 in the regular season, and they have the best total winning percentage of all time, including the playoffs, because the Warriors didn't win the championship in 2016-2017. This Bulls team did. They wear those hats that say, ain't don't mean a, don't mean a thing without the ring, yeah. right? And they go and they... 
they prove it against the supersonics, which we're going to talk about. Um, before I talk about the supersonics, I want to talk about just Michael Jordan, his the way he motivates himself. That awesome story about the that poor guy, LeBradford Smith, where they said he dropped 37 on him, and then Michael lies and says that he said nice game to him afterwards just to motivate him. And he told everybody. So everyone probably would be like, uh-oh, Michael's going to got to prove something in this next game and he scores as much as the guy scored in a game in the first in the first half of the next game against him and then comes out and says yeah he never really said that to me i just needed that for motivation that's awesome (laughs) and then and him in the locker room just smoking a cigar swinging a bat and he's just like getting himself fired up just kind of like talking shit to people yeah (laughs) and all all the the moments of him and uh scott burrell the player on the 98 team and how he just he just calling him a hoe cussing him out and everything oh my god Uh, but he said he did that because he said he needed he needed to toughen up these guys because they were just you know they weren't ready for what how much of a dogfight the playoffs actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was trying to make them mentally tougher. And he, like he said, if you're not strong enough, you're like, I'm going to make these practices harder than the, the games are going to be that we yeah. play in. And if you can handle these practices, then, okay, we can we can ride together in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we get to the 90, 95, 97, uh, 95-96 playoffs, and uh, Michael Jordan makes quick work. Of his first uh, three series and gets to the finals to play the Supersonics and Gary Payton. And how does Michael get motivated? He's, he's George Carl. <laughs> like, this, this, I just aspire to his pettiness. Sees him at a, re- at, a, at a restaurant and George Carl doesn't say hi to him. And he uses that as his motivation yeah. to show them up. For all he, we know, George Carl's like with his wife and family trying mm-hmm. to have a nice dinner and... Michael over here is piety to say hello. <laughs> then he's pissed because they're both North Carolina guys. He's like, all right, you're going to show me up in public? <laughs> now I'm going to show you up. And the Bulls end up going up 3-0. And then they put Gary Payton on him. And Gary Payton seems like, oh, he's you know got the keys to stopping Jordan. And the, yeah. the Sonics actually rip off two games to none. I honestly believe, though, as we were talking about, uh, what what day did game six fall on? Father's Day. Father's Day, and we were both saying we th- we thought maybe Michael he wanted pumped to... the brakes. Yeah, he pumped the brakes, and once he got up three zero, he thought of how amazing would it be maybe to win on Father's in Chicago. Day in Chicago on Father's Day, your first season, full season back, uh, your first title run since your father passed away, and uh, and they end up wrapping it up in Game Six, and Jordan uh, has the famous shot of him on the ground. Grabbing the basketball in tears, capping off the greatest season ever. Yeah, it's <sighs> it was an emotional two episodes. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of pain from Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seeing him, I've never seen him. You know, I mean, first off, we don't really get to see him at all in interviews and stuff, but to see him like tear up and cry, and there was a lot of moments of that in these in these episodes when they're talking about his father and to see how important his father meant to him yeah mm-hmm. Oof. Can, can we also say how how good does Ahmad Rashad look in this documentary do you know how old he is no he's 70 really he looks like no. he's 40 in this documentary yeah he's 70 <laughs> wow I just found that on Twitter I'm like holy dude this dude looks like he should still be doing sideline no, reporting I, yeah I'm like why is he retired because <laughs> he's 70 years old but he looks like he's 40 45 at the most 
I, he's got he's got to be a vampire. Yeah, that was almost as my jaw dropped when I, mean, I he looks younger than Jordan. Yeah, he does. That's crazy. That's crazy. Insane. <sighs> any other any other things you took away from these last two episodes? It was very emotional. I feel like I actually got to know Jordan more as a person out of all these episodes. Like, and yeah, I, 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 I just don't see. I there's never been another person I think that's had to deal with the amount of media scrutiny the world has offered. Like no one else has had to deal with. No, yeah, Michael. I, I, at least I can't think of. I I watched these two episodes and I. Uh... I, I get a little jealous because as we were talking before, I said I aspire to that, you know, that pettiness and that drive that Michael would turn anything into motivation. And I wish I had that. I had more of that in my life. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lot more even keel, but I wish. And again, maybe you don't wish that because as people said throughout the episode, it's like, or BJ Armstrong says it. He's like, yeah, Michael was Michael was an asshole. Like we look at him as this amazing person because he won. But if he didn't win, he would right. not be looked like this. And that is true. Like with success, we overlook a lot of things. But then hearing Michael talk about it, as we said, it's just like that was his form of leadership. He was tough on mm-hmm. his people. I also watch these, and I I get a little sad because seeing the relationship Michael has with his father and how much he loved his father. And then to see, uh, you know, that get taken away from him and then being a person who has a rocky relationship with his father and to know like, Jesus, is it going to like take something drastic like that to like mend fences in my life and stuff like that. So that's why it would like hit, hit pretty close to home for me. Right. Um, the whole fatherhood angle and everything, but I don't want to turn this into a Dr. Phil episode. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I can't believe eight episodes. There's only two more. I wish there was like another 10 because I feel like I could keep watching Michael Jordan stories forever. Yeah. It's like this. I mean, he's just larger than life. It's Air Jordan. Air Jordan, that that shot of Scotty pointing at the shoes, yeah, that was that, dope. When he's like calling him to come back. <laughs> that that's an awesome shot. Awesome. All right, we'll wrap this up again. This was episode seven and eight. Amazing stuff. We have only two more next Sunday. Are the last two episodes. We're gonna dive into the finals. I'm guessing of the ninety uh, ninety seven and ninety eight season, both against Utah, and we're gonna wrap up this story. Um, Jordan had said, oh, last little bit before we wrap this up. Jordan said he was worried how people are going to perceive him after they watch this. I only am thinking higher of Michael yeah, Jordan oh, after watching this me documentary. Too. Me too. <laughs> Never once was I like, oh, this is a bad look on you, Mike. This is a bad look. It's like, no. like No, and I see him, like, I mean, he's still like a god and all that. Yeah. He's more come down, What do you? how do you say it? Come down to earth a little? Yeah, he's come down to earth, at least for me, because I've always just seen him as, like, Michael Jordan, the ball player. Not, you know, like, Michael Jordan is a person, you know? And <laughs> he has his flaws, and he had, you know, just like everyone, he has his emotions, and I still see him as a god, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's Michael Jordan. There's been people, some people criticizing it because they're saying Michael had a hand in kind of, you know deciding and green lighting certain things with the doc but i'm like i have no issues with that when he's putting his 
he's putting his heart and life no, on the line yeah. and his reputation and image yeah. on the line with this. Um, and, and again, as we said, yeah, does he look like a jerk at times? He does. But I don't see it that way. I see it as the, the, the ultimate competitor and motivator. And I guess if you're not an athlete and you're not a competitive person, you might think this guy went, went too far. But, no, yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. But I, I, as being a competitive person, I just see, uh, and again, as, as we are two guys that idolized Kobe Bryant, uh, yeah. Kobe was the exact same way. Again, if you were on the Lakers in the, those 2000 seasons and you weren't, you weren't coming every day to win a championship, Kobe was going to let you have it too. Mm-hmm. And that's why we view Kobe so great because he was the mini, the mini Jordan. Yeah, it's kind of sad how, like with today, like how Jimmy Butler, those practices with the Timberwolves, you know, caught a little risky mm-hmm. or whatever. But I was like, you know, Wiggins and Towns, they needed that. Yeah. Yeah, that tough love. Yeah. And look at Butler doing that with these rookies at Miami now who are actually responding to it. They're thriving, you know? It's a totally different age, too, because I just don't see... Or it's like nowadays the players, if somebody acted like Mike, like Jimmy Butler, they get traded, sent out of town, or the players, you know, around them want them gone. Yeah. And no one rises to the occasion. It's just like a totally different style of leadership now where, you know, everyone is. Again, everyone's buddy-buddy in this too. I mean, they all go play Space Jam basketball Mm -hmm. and Warner Brothers, so they've got to be friends off the court. But there still was this, you know, fuck you mentality to every time I was against you. And I missed that. I do miss that because I feel like nowadays we're seeing these players, and sure, maybe they do feel like that when they're on the court. Like I want to, I want to beat you. Like in beaten towns, they're still, you know, they talk shit. I think they're well, they're one of the louder rivalries mm-hmm. in the NBA right now. Yeah, where they actually verbally talk shit to each other. Yeah, which was uh, which is what I miss right now. With I, I don't think there is any anything currently going on. Like at least with the Warriors team that went up against LeBron. That uh, oh I, yeah, that rivalry. You could was tell strong. LeBron like was annoyed with how Curry was being perceived, yeah. and it added to that that uh, rivalry in those series because he was tired of people here. I liked that LeBron James more than I like any other version of LeBron James. I want to see that. I want again now. I'm a Lakers fan talking about LeBron. I want to see LeBron channel this. Uh, you know, if, if he can win a championship, like turn this, <coughs> turn this into a LeBron thing. But if he could channel some of that jordan pettiness you know it's the end of your career man just go try to get this title who cares yeah he's so much worried about his legacy let your championships just run these rookies into the ground man oh i i would love to see that but i do think the league is different now Mm -hmm. um but maybe maybe it'll change you know players are watching this documentary and i'm sure all of them are like you know, I'm just as tall as Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm a guard. Why can't I go out and win six championships? Yeah, and it's I think you know grinding. I don't even think Jordan had. I mean, he he had the talent, but it was his persistence and dedication and hard work. Yeah, and how he was just more focused than everybody in the league to win, 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 and whoever was a part of that, you know, train. If you weren't up to par, he was going to make sure you were ready to go when you know, playoffs come around. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of teams now, it's like, you know, we need two or three guys and 
will fill out the bench with whoever's available, whoever's a veteran, and they do what they do. We don't ask them to do anything else. Mm-hmm. As opposed to Chicago, Michael Jordan was like, I'm going to ask you to do everything possible and to do it at a level of perfection. Well said. Um, all right, so we'll wrap this up again. One more, one more episode of this next week, the final episodes. Thank you, Andrew, for joining me again. Hope you guys all enjoyed this. Again, check out all our other stuff at the Barker Media and stay tuned for more Last Dance stuff coming next week. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And again, one last time, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Hope you guys had a great Sunday night. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. Mm-hmm.